Well, Sherry and I are glad to be here. Sherry, would you stand up and just let everybody see you? It's my wife, Sherry. I got all kinds of family in the house today. My sister, Patsy, is back there. Wave everybody, Patsy. My son, Jason, and my daughter, Amanda, are sitting on the front row. It's Father's Day, and they came to church with Dad. Come on now, somebody. But uh, we, ha- we have, Aaron mentioned we have a whole bunch of stuff out in the hall, and I'm just going to take a moment. I want to give away some of that. And it's important to us because this helps us to be able to do what we do and go where we go. You might go out there and say, man, you want 20 bucks for a CD? It's like, yeah. And you say, well, I go to Apple and download it for nine. It's like, yeah. And then I have to give them three and I end up with six. And that means I don't have, you know, you can do the math. So anyway, but I'm, I'm like a big fan of single parents and especially since today's Father's Day, single dad. So I'd like to give a single dad a copy of my book, Don't Take Your Dreams to the Grave, and a copy of my CD exchange, which the first song I sang is on that CD. So do we have any single parent dads in the house? There's one right there. Here you go. You want to give that to him? Let's give this man a hand. Sherry and I are big on couples, and especially newlyweds. We want to, we want. I have a, we have a teaching series that Sherry and I did here, called the Marriage of Your Dreams. And so, if you're here today and you're a single parent, man, I'm having all kinds of senior moments this morning. I'm going to get a T-shirt made up. Said, "Leave me alone. I'm having a senior moment." Uh, but if you're here today and you just got married, you're a newlywed. I want to, I want to give this to somebody that's a newlywed. You guys on the front row, here you go. You can give that to them, too. Is there anybody here that's just starting on an adventure, like a new business or a transition in your job, something like that? This man right here. I have a series called Dream Acceleration. I'd like to give that to you. It's a teaching series. And then finally... And this one, we didn't get anybody to respond to this in the first service. If you're, you're have, you're ha, you have faith for your marriage to survive. Is there anybody here that's that way? I see you back there in the back. Here's what you do. Just come out to our table afterwards. Sherry and I have a new book that we did. It'll actually be here next week. We don't have it with us, but we're pre-selling it. And you just come out and just say, hey, I'm the lady in the service. And just fill it out, and we will send you a copy of the book. So the book is about mine and Sherry's story. And if you've not, has anybody here heard our story before? A few people have. But uh, mine and Sherry's story is, is that, like, I met Sherry at the first American tour of a band called Black Sabbath. <laughs> and they were playing at Memorial Hall in Kansas City, Kansas, and we were both tripping, and I couldn't tell if she was that beautiful or if I was hallucinating. And shortly after that, she got pregnant with Jason, and we got married, and it was horrible. It was like we called it the marriage made in hell. And one night after we got in a fight that I lost, and three days, when I say that in prison, people laugh like crazy. It's like, you go, man. You know, that girl, she had a, you had a common. She said it's prison. Sherry gets a standing ovation from all the women. But we got in a fight, and I lost. And three days later, after having reconstructive surgery on my face, my grandmother came to visit me. We lived at 
309 Grand Street in Liberty Manor. And my grandmother came to visit me, and she looks at me, and she says, Baby, I will give you the money if you get a divorce. So Sherry and I, we just finished writing this book, and the title of it is Granny Paid for Our Divorce. <laughs> and uh, so that, that'll be out. So you can, you can buy it today. We're pre-selling it. So just give us, the, give us the money today, and we will sign it and mail it to you week after next. So the, the, so the end of the story is, is about a year later, we started seeing each other again. Of course, we couldn't tell Granny because she would have wanted her money back. And, uh, and uh, we ended up deciding to get married again. So we got, a, we got a marriage license, and we showed up at a little church in Hamilton, Missouri. And the only way the preacher would marry us was if I gave my life to Jesus. And so... That was 41 years ago, last December 19th. So God's done good things. So anyway, that's, all that stuff's out there, and it helps us to be able to do what we do. I've got a short video that just shows you some of the places where we go because we have this belief that you know, our, our, one of our terminologies is inside-outside. I'm committed to the local church. I want to be in the church, helping pastors, doing ministry, and we do that pretty much Every Sunday, I'm in a different church somewhere in America, but outside. Jesus did ministry both inside and outside, and we, we're that way. So here's a short video that'll show you some of the places where we go. There you go. Short and sweet. We just finished a uh, week before last uh, a thing called the Transformation Tour. Every year in the summer, we take a week and we go to prisons in Kansas. We did six prisons in five days. We stood in, pr- in front of thousands of convicted felons, prayed with them, and talked to them about the reality of transformation. Rehabilitation in the life of a prisoner does not work because 76% of those who are incarcerated once they're released within five years will reoffend. Transformation does work because it's not about what you do, it's about who you are. It's a matter of having your heart transformed by the power of God, and that changes the legacy of a life. That person's life will be transformed, their marriage will be transformed, their children will be transformed. So if we're really going to do something about crime, it has to start with the heart of the inmate. It has to start with the heart of the offender, and we're committed to do that. Another couple of pictures that were in that uh, slide that went by so fast was last fall, I was invited to perform at a thing called the Invictus Games. The Invictus Games is an international wounded warrior competition that was started by Prince Harry. Yeah, the recently married Prince Harry. And, uh, and so we were invited to do that. Sherry and I last year were twice at Walter Reed Hospital in Washington, D.C., just spending time and encouraging those that have sacrificed so much for our country. 
And so, and then Sturgis, we go to Sturgis every year. We've been doing that for 11 years. In 2016, we were invited to play on the main stage of the largest music venue there, a place called the Buffalo Chip. That ain't the Buffalo Chip Church, just so you know. And uh, I think that's a good name for a church, though. That or Knuckleheads Church. And, uh, and uh, so they invited us in 2016 to open for Willie Nelson. And that was cool. We got to open for Willie. We didn't get to meet him. Willie wasn't feeling good. He was 80. He's 83 at the time. Had his 85-year-old sister playing piano with him. Baby sister, that's what he called her. And, uh, and he hired the Hells Angels to keep us away from him. So... But my drummer stayed backstage in our bus and said when Willie came out, they opened his door of his bus and this big plume of smoke came out. So Willie was medicating before he got to the stage. So anyway, and then last year we were invited by the same venue to open for a band called the Doobie Brothers, and it was incredible. We, we, I played three chords. The second song we played was our last song. So I'm screaming, you got you to need the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And the Doobie Brothers come out and play Jesus is just all right. So it was a great night. So anyway, so we have all that stuff out there. And when you buy that, that helps us to be able to go to those places that can't pay, play us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we're together. Give us energy, strength. Give us wisdom. Let us hear you today. Let us not only hear you, but let us do this word when we leave. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I can't tell you what a thrill it is to be here in Liberty, Missouri. This is where I grew up. I grew up just over the hill in Liberty Manor. And, uh, and to have my kids here, two of my kids, two of my three kids, and Jessica and Leroy couldn't be here today. They're in Washington, D.C., and Sherry and I have, over the course of our life and with our children, we've acquired nine grandchildren. And so it's just a treat for me to have my kids here today. But we've always, you know, we raised them up in church, and I think that's what you should do. But Sherry and I, we have this friend, our kids, too, you know, this guy. And he's an old prophet, and he looked like an old prophet. I mean, you look at him, you're like, you're looking at Elijah. He had gray, steel gray hair and just piercing eyes and he had scoliosis, so he was all bent over. And when he looked at you, he looked like he was just burning a hole right through your soul. And one day we was with him, and he looked up at me, and he said, Brother Jimmy, you know, that's back when we used to call everybody in church was brother and sister. I think that's a really good idea as I get older. I can't remember anybody's name. It's like, you know, hey, brother, what's going on? What's up, sister? You know, it kind of helps a lot. You all can use that if you want to. And... uh and so he looks up at me and he goes, Brother Jimmy, how big is God? And I started to form a theological answer of how big God is. Of course, you can't put God in any kind of measurement definition, you know. And he'd say, Brother Jimmy, I want to know. I want you to tell me how big is God? And he kept it up, kept it up. And he said, finally, he said, I'll tell you how big God is. He's big enough. And that's some, some simply profound theology right there, that God is big enough to deal with everything that mankind needs. He's big enough to take care of everything that's wrong in your life. He's big enough that when he needed a cure for everything that was wrong with mankind, it only took him one word, and that word rolled out of his mouth, and he just said, Jesus. 
And Jesus came and take, took care of everything and made everything right. I've chosen as a text today Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Genesis 1, 31 in the account of creation, and it reads like this. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. This passage of Scripture is talking about the sixth day when God created mankind, men and women. And ladies, it's good for you to know that when God created mankind, you were included in his very first thought. Such an interesting revelation to know that woman didn't have a name until after the fall of man. They were always referred to together as one, and their name was Adam. But in this verse that I chose, Genesis 1.31, God's created mankind, and he sits back at the end of the sixth day, and he says, that is very good. You see, God has this sense about him, this emotion, this feeling about him that when he looks at mankind, he goes, that's very good. Now, we don't have that same type of sense about ourselves, and we don't get that kind of information from the media or from what's outside of us. But when God looks at us, specifically us guys, because we get a bad rap, we get... We get beat on from everywhere, man. It's like, you know, I'm just being, I'm being honest with the guys. You ladies just, just kind of, you know, put it on pause for a second. I'll get back to y'all. No, you should tune into this. You need to hear this about guys. We get a bad rap because we're told that we never are good enough. We never measure up. We're not spiritual enough. We don't pray enough. How many of you men ever heard any of that nonsense? Well, guess what? That's not coming from God. When God looks at us, he looks at the how wonderfully he made us. And he stands back and he views it with this pleasure, with this dignity, with this honor towards those that he has created. And he says, that is very good. God just has this feeling about how right, how correct, how sufficient, how complete he has designed us. It's his original emotion, the feeling that he has about creating us. And then when we jump over into the book of James, in James 1.17, we learn God does not change. He doesn't change, so this emotion that he has about us, about mankind, it's still the same as it was at the end of that sixth day when he stood back and he looked and he said, this is very good. And it goes on to say there in James that not only that he doesn't change, but there's, you know, some translation says, neither is there a shadow of turning, or neither is there a shade of gray. There's not even a consideration in the mind of God that would get him to change his mind about how he feels about you and I. He looks at us and he says, that is very good. And that's, that's so cool about God because we know that 
when we see and sense his goodness towards us. That is what causes us to change our mind or to repent because it's the goodness of God. It's knowing the goodness of God. It's feeling his goodness towards us that causes us to change our mind, to change our mind about how we miss the mark, to change our minds about how we fail, to change our minds about who we are. Because really knowing who you are is the big temptation. It's the big temptation. When the serpent came to Eve here in Genesis chapter 2 and and he came to her, and you know, we always focus on the act of disobedience. But there was something that happened prior to the act of disobedience. There was a change in her heart. A change that said, you're not who God really says you are. Or how God feels about you isn't really how God feels about you. Because the, the temptation or the question was, did God say that if you take of this tree and eat it, then, you know, he knows that you'll be like him, but they were already like him. And then when we fast forward into the New Testament and we see the temptation of Jesus, it's all about his identity. And would he believe that he really was who God said he was? And just taking this one simple truth about how God views you. Man, this is revolutionary stuff. It'll change the way that you feel about yourself. It'll change your self-esteem, your self-image, your self-confidence, your self-worth. All of that bundled together just because we actually know and believe that God sees us as very good. That doesn't mean that we don't fail. That doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. That doesn't mean that we don't miss the mark. We all do. But it means that when we do, that God's change, he has an opinion, his opinion, his view, his reality of us has not wavered. He still says, ah, you know, you're very good. It's not about our behavior. It's about our connection. It's about our DNA. It's about him being our father and us being his children. There's nothing that you can do to revolutionize that. Because after all, you are the crown, the pinnacle of God's creation. And he feels so good about you. And especially when you come to church. No, I'm kidding about that. I was, I was just, I don't want to get some dead works in there somewhere. He doesn't change whether you come to church or not. But it does help when you come to church. When Sherry and I, when we came to Jesus, it was like, you know, we, we got saved during our second wedding ceremony. And don't confuse it with like, you know, white lace and flowers and planning and all that stuff. We showed up at church, at this little church in Caldwell County, Missouri with a marriage license. And you can't make up this stuff. It's always so bizarre. But the name of the church was God's Sheep Shed, where all the big sheep and the little lambs get fed. Man, you can start a marketing campaign with that today. Yeah, I want to go to that place. And, uh, but when we started, we, we, just, you know, we were born again. And just a few minutes afterwards, we went to sign the marriage license. And, and man, the pastor's wife started talking to me. And I'd never heard anything like that before. 
Uh, she did have a thick southern accent, but I had never really heard anybody talk. It, it, it really, what somebody said never had that kind of effect on me. You know, it wasn't like I heard it with my ears. I heard it with my life, and it transformed my life. And we are just sitting there talking, and, and I didn't know that she was prophesying to me. She was speaking into my future what God's will was for my life. And, and But we were just having a conversation, you know, she she hadn't stood me up and pushed me over or spit on me or said, thus saith the Lord or anything. Man, we were just talking, and this is exploding in my heart. You know, and she, she just looks at me, and she goes, Jimmy, now you're going to be in church all the time, aren't you? Man, I was hearing the hallelujah chorus. It was down inside my heart, and I was going, well, yeah, man, I'm all jacked up, and I come here, and I get help, and so... I'm coming to church. And so, man, we just made up. It's like if there's church going on, we're going to church. You can ask Jason growing up. He'd come to me and say, hey, Dad, it's Sunday morning. Are we going to church? And be like, shut up, boy. You know we're going to church. We're all jacked up, and we got to have some hell. <laughs> and some of you all ain't quite figured that out yet. You know, or either you think you're not as jacked up as I was, but you all need to get in church. Because right now, you know, the way it works right now, statistically, churches or families go to church about once a month. And I guess you're not as jacked up as I was, but I don't believe that. So, so anyway, but, but I'm a storyteller, and I like to tell stories. And all of my stories have basically the same thing in common. Somebody invites somebody to go to church. Say it with me. Somebody invites somebody to go to church. Or you could say it like this. A believer intersects with a non-believer, and things happen. We were out on the transformation tour, and, and I was just standing in front of these guys in prison, you know, and I'm, I'm just looking into their faces, and I, and I just see their eyes, and I think about their children and their family and just the devastation that their choices have made on it. It just, it just gets to my heart. My original bass player was a guy named Jeff Wallenberg, and Jeff was a guy that he was a meth manufacturer, and he got caught, him and his wife, sentenced to federal, federal prison. He was a meth man. Let me, let me kind of create the timeline. He was a meth manufacturer before he was my bass player, okay, just so we got that right. And uh, and he got sentenced to federal prison, and one day he had a visit, and he said it was like a stranger came to visit him. But when that stranger left, he knew that Jesus had visited his heart. And he served his time, and when he got out of prison, I first met him, he was playing on a worship team in a church in Lee Summit, and just an incredible bass player, a great singer, great performer, and Jeff would rebuilt his life. His life was transformed because of Jesus. And, and so I asked, I said, you know, I called his pastor one day, and I said, you know, I'm going back into prison. I want to take a band, and I want to know if Jeff would like to go. You know, I want to ask him. And so I, he, the pastor said, you know, one thing he's always wanted to do is he's wanted to go back to prison and tell the story. And so we went. In the, in the fall, or actually in April of 2002, we went to, to Lansing and to Leavenworth and to some prisons here in the area. And Jeff, he was just like, it was unbelievable because he just had had this dream fulfilled in his life. 
as this thing that he had dreamed about doing came to pass right there in front of his eyes. And, and Jeff would always tell his story like this. He was short and had a real gruff voice, and he'd go, yeah, he said, uh, you know, I went to prison, and I got saved in prison, and when I got out of prison, I took Jesus home with me. And that was his story. I mean, that's simple, simple theology. And we were leaving Lansing one day, and and this guard, smart aleck guard, comes up to us, and he said, well, boys, did you, did you give them all of Jesus that you had? And he said, if you did, he says, there's a bucket outside where they drop him off after they leave. And I thought Jeff was going to come unglued and just tear him apart. On January 25th of 2002, Jeff was at home with his wife. They had five kids together, and he's laying in bed at night, and he's reading his Bible. And he reads a passage of Scripture in Psalm 130 that says, If you should count iniquity, O God, who could stand? But there's forgiveness with you that you might be feared. And it moved him, and he reached over and grabbed a highlighter off of his nightstand and circled that passage of Scripture, let out a wheeze and had a massive heart attack and died at 44 years old on the spot. But somebody reached into his life, and that moment brought him to Jesus. Every time I looked at one of those prisoners this week before last, I was like I was looking in the face and seeing the future and the destiny of that man. I was doing a prison crusade in the upper peninsula of Michigan, the UP, several years ago, and I got there, and I went to check into my hotel, and the uh, organizers came to me, and they said, well, we've had some budget issues, so we're going to ask you to room with somebody. And I'm like, I said, well, okay. I said, I just have one rule about rooming with somebody. If that dude snores, ain't nobody sleeping. Because I'm not laying there listening to him store. I'm waking him up. You know what I'm saying? I'm waking him up. So I go to my room, and I go to meet my roommate, and I discover that I'm rooming with a convicted double murderer. And I'm like, that dude wants to snore. I ain't waking him up. You know what I'm saying? He can snore all he wants to. Guy by the name of Frank Sherry. And Frank had taken a bunch of drugs one night, and was convinced that his town had been invaded by aliens. The only weapon he could find was a claw hammer, and he took to the street, and before they could subdue him, there were eight men down and two dead. He's in a county jail waiting to go to trial one day, and the sheriff comes in and says, Frank, you got a visit. And he says, who is it? He said, it's the widow of one of the men that you murdered. She wants to talk to you. He went out, and he sat down across from this obviously very destroyed, very grieving widow, and she began to talk to him about the man that he murdered. She said, Frank, she says, my husband was a good man. Not only that, he was a great husband, and he was a wonderful father. She said, but beyond all that, Frank, my husband was a believer in Jesus. And she reached down and pulled out an old Bible and she said, Frank, this is my husband's Bible. And Frank, he read it every day. 
She put it down on the table and slid it across to him and said, Frank, if you'll read this Bible, it'll change your life. And Frank took that Bible back to his cell and began to read it. In just a few days, he was born again. He went to Bible school while he was serving his time in prison. When he got out of prison, he married a girl named Ruth. And Frank and Ruth and this widow would travel together and talk to groups like this about the reality of forgiveness. Now that is some crazy stuff right there. But somebody's always waiting for somebody like you to show up and to look at them with eyes that are beyond what you and I can see. One more story and then I'll quit. There was a single mom and she was in the store one day. And guess what happened? Somebody, say it with me, somebody invites somebody to come to church. You know why that's so important? In a recent survey, they discovered that they went to unchurched people, people that don't go to church, and they said, what would it take to get you to attend a church service? And over 80% of them said, we would be likely to attend if we were invited by a friend. Then they went to church people and said, how many of you would invite somebody that doesn't go to church to come to church with you? 2%. So we have a culture that says, we'd like to see what you have going on. Would you invite us? And we go, nope, not really interested in that. So anyway, this single mom, she's in the store and this lady sees her and she goes up and says, you know, I've been thinking about you. And I'd like to invite you to come to church with me and my family. She reluctantly accepted her request, and she came to church. And when she walked in the door, she felt something. That's the way it ought to be in church. She felt welcomed. She felt accepted. She felt honored. She felt loved. And those were all foreign emotions to her. But it was attractive, it was magnetic, so she started coming to church. One Sunday night, she came to church with her little boy. They'd had a hard life. They'd been abandoned and left alone. But she came to church that night with her son. The close of the service, the pastor said, if you're here today and you need prayer, we'd like for you to come forward and we're going to pray and believe whatever you ask God for. And she had all kinds of needs, but she had all kinds of shame, so she was paralyzed in her seat. She couldn't move. Prayer service started. People were being prayed for up front. and All of a sudden, she feels a hand on the pant leg, on her pant leg, and it's her little boy. And she reaches down to see what he wants, and she goes, Baby, what do you want? And he says, Mom, we need prayer. And she said, I know we do, hon. It's going to be okay. Jesus will take care of us. Prayer service continues when all of a sudden she feels his hand tugging on her pant leg again. And this time he's more determined and says, But mom, mom, we need prayer. And she said, Okay, give me your hand. We'll pray right here. And he says, No, mom, 
I want to go up there. So reluctantly, she left her seat, brought the boy down front, told the pastor it was the little boy that wanted prayer, and he got down on one knee and looked him right straight in the eyes and said, Son, what do you want Jesus to do for you? And he said, I want Jesus to bring my daddy home. And so they prayed. Their life got worse and worse. But one Sunday night, a single mom and her little boy came to church with her ex-husband. And there was an opportunity for people to believe on Jesus like there's going to be here in just a minute. And everyone was shocked when the ex-husband said, I want to believe. Their marriage was reconciled. More children added to the family. But the pivotal moment was someone like you, someone like me, simply entering into their life and saying, would you come to church with me? Isn't that powerful? Well, today, I had the honor of coming to church with that single mom. She hadn't been single for about 41 years. And her name's Sherry, and she's my wife. And today, yesterday... That little boy drove home from Dallas to be with his dad on Father's Day. His name's Jason. Ten months after that night, my daughter Amanda was born. None of that would be possible without Jesus and somebody. There are people all around you. Not, they don't care what you know. They don't care how much theology you've learned. It doesn't matter. They just want you to enter into their lives and love them like Jesus did. And when the opportunity's right, you just say, hey, would you like to come to church with me? That night, our lives were transformed because Jesus came into our hearts. And I didn't know what happened. The pastor stood me and Sherry up after our makeshift wedding after the service, and he said, I want you all to look at each other. And he looked at us and he said, you don't have a past. You don't have a past. And he quoted 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. That went down in my heart that I was not like I was before. I was different. Jesus talked about it in John chapter 3 when he said this, you must be born again. 
The guy he was talking to at the time goes, well, that's not possible. He said, how's that possible? I can't enter back into my mother's womb and, and be born again. And Jesus said, no, it's not like that. This isn't a natural thing. This is a spiritual thing. What he was saying there is this isn't something you're going to intellectually understand. This is something that you have to believe in your heart, not in your mind. You have to believe this in your heart. And the Bible talks about many wonderful things that happen when we're born again. It is the greatest experience that a human being can ever have. The Bible says this when we're born again. It says that we have a heart, and that heart is stony and indifferent and unteachable. And God reaches into us without missing a heartbeat. And he takes that heart and he gives us a new heart. And the Bible says that that new heart is it's pliable, it's teachable, and it has his laws written on it. We become a completely new creature. We become a di- not, you know, Jesus didn't come to make you better. He came to make you over. He came to make you right. The Bible says that when we're born again that we get a new nature. And I I reckon it like this. We get a new genetic. That we're no longer bound to the genetic of our parents. We're no longer bound to the genetic of this earth. But we get the genetic of our Heavenly Father. And His blood comes into us. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all, all of these things, incredible things that happen. But... It's like this. It's, it's, we get this new DNA. And Sherry and I and our family, we've no, we know what this is like. We experienced this naturally firsthand. When in 2011, my daughter Jessica came into our life when she was 38 years old. I'd never seen her. I'd never had any influence in her life. There's no way that she could ever be like me. But you know what? She's just like me. It's the most incredible thing. She talks like me. She holds her head like me. The phrasing, the way she says her words are like me. And if she was here today, she would tell you, look, I've I've struggled all my life trying to figure out where I got this goofy personality, and it's your fault. You're the ones to blame. And the same is true when we're born again. We get this new genetic, and we are like our Father. There's nothing we can do to escape it. It just comes out of us because it's natural, because it's part of who who the nature of God is that's now inside of us. When we're born again, we get that new start. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says it like this. Old things pass away. That's burial language. That's funeral language. Old things pass away All things become new. It's such an incredible experience. And the good one of the other good things about this incredible experience is that we've always wanted parents that were just crazy rich, right? So they give us this big inheritance. Well, God has all of that prepared for you. The Bible says his riches are unsearchable. And as a son, he wants you to have access to all of that. But, you know, I know I don't take for granted in a crowd this size that there are people here that have not been born again. And so I want to give you that opportunity. If you're here today and you say, Jimmy, I'm, I'm not born again, I know without a shadow of a doubt. 
Well, it's time for you to start that journey. If you're here today and you say, Jimmy, you know what? I'm just not sure if I'm born again. Then it's time for you to be sure. This is the most incredible, wonderful experience that you can have as a human being. I could stand here for days and days and just talk about the benefits, the realities of what it's like to join this family. Because all of this happens by love, it happens by choice. Not by God's choice. He's willing that all of us would come to Him, but by your choice. Love is a matter of choice. We choose who we love. And God created us that way because that's the way He operates. He's chosen us, but it'll only only happen and function when we choose Him. And we have to choose Him and just say, I'm going to trust that what Jesus did while he was here is, is what you've said for me. That's mine, and I'm going to believe that. So could we do this out of respect for God and reverence for one another? Could we just bow our heads and close our eyes? And let me ask you this question. Are you born again? Let me ask it another way. Are you sure that you're born again? If you're here today and you say, Jimmy, that's me. I'm not born again or I'm not sure. In just a moment, I'm I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand and we're going to pray together right there where you're at. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're just going to pray and you're going to begin an incredible journey. If you're here today and you say, Jimmy, that's me. I'm not born again or I'm not sure. Right now, I'd like you to lift your hand and we're going to pray together right there where you're at. Thank you so much. We're going to pray together. All of us are going to pray. Church, let's pray with these folks that lifted their hand, and let's pray like this. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you just as I am, a sinner. And I want to be born again. I want a new life. I want a new heart. I want a new nature. And I want to know you as my Father. Jesus, I surrender. Jesus, be my Lord. Now let me pray for these. Father, thank you, Lord, that you created this moment just for these folks. Lord, I pray right now that you would open their hearts, open their minds, God, that they would be aware of what's happening inside of them right now. Lord, that they would have a hunger and desire for the things of God, the Word of God, the house of God. And, Lord, that they would follow you all the days of your life, of their life. And I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. One last thing, and then I'll quit. And I'll give you the same advice my pastor's wife gave me. Now you're going to be in church all the time, aren't you? Amen. Aaron, bless you guys. Thank you.